Welcome back, my friends, to the show that never ends. I'm glad you could attend. Come inside. Come inside. You are listening to Season 1, Episode 7 of Let's Talk Hemp in the 422. I'm your co-host, Morris Beagle, not hanging out with my partner in hemp spirit, Rick Trojan. And here at the 422, every day is Earth Day. Today's guest is Doug Fine, and we'll be discussing some of what he's been up to and what is going on next Monday and Tuesday in Madison, Wisconsin. Please email us questions at the 422 at com, and you can check out archived episodes of the 422 at com and blogtalkradio.com slash letstalkhemp. We'd love to hear some feedback, which Rick got a few ears full of the last couple weeks. Good thing he's deaf in one of them. Also check out hempevents.org for the latest information on hemp-related events for 2018 taking place around the USA and around the world. We've got the Organic Hemp Innovations event this Saturday in Denver, and then I'm heading to Madison, Wisconsin on Monday and Tuesday for the Central U.S. Hemp Growers Conference to discuss hemp opportunities with the fine folks in Packers Country and beyond. Pretty sure we have folks coming in from Minnesota, Illinois, Iowa, Indiana, North and South Dakota as well. So we ran into some issues at the 422 this week. First, Rick and I recorded a 60-minute interview with Doug Fine a couple days back, and the file never materialized from my recording app. This podcast to this point has been recorded on cell phones using a phone app that allows conferencing and recording. It's adequate, but it's not optimal, and that is a production improvement that will happen on this show in the coming months. It is a bit glitchy, but we will get it fixed. Anyway, I had to re-record the interview with Doug coming up, and Rick wasn't available and wasn't available to hop on and do this episode, so I am flying solo this week on the 422. Rick will be back next episode, but is also heading out of the country the end of next week for a bit, then jet-setting to Canatech in Israel later in March. This year is going to be quite the international spectacle for hemp and cannabis, and we're looking forward to contributing to that spectacle. Since Rick was supposed to do the recap on a couple of these topics, I'm going to give my abbreviated Hemp Notes version. Last week, we talked about Operation Candy Crush CBD Gummy Bears in Rutherford County, Tennessee, home county of Hemp Industries Association Executive Director Colleen Kihei Lanier. 23 stores raided and shut down by local and federal agents emphasizing the illegal CBD gummy bears. Completely nuts and embarrassing for local law enforcement, the DEA, the FBI, and for the overall perception of Tennessee on a whole. Seriously, You assholes at the DEA and FBI, hemp-derived CBD extracts are 100% legal and pose zero public health risk. Even the World Health Organization has said this. Quit obstructing a legitimate industry. You have already lost the public debate and you are going to lose the debate in the courts. Just throw in the towel and go after the real drug dealers. The pharmaceutical industry, meth lab operators, people that are causing harm, not creating health. On a positive note, What seems to be a reasonable and sane judge has ordered that the stores can reopen and the products in question can be reviewed, but I believe also can be sold off the shelves, which is great because Tennessee does have a hemp program and a law in the books that allows hemp-derived extracts in all parts of the plant to be utilized in commerce and in food and ingestible products, thus making these products completely legal. One other quick mention is the GW Pharma Bill making its way around the Colorado Capitol and still ruffling some feathers. If you are interested in the latest updates and where the hemp industry stands on this, which is in support of it because it defines what needs to be defined in regards to hemp, pharmaceutical, and recreational swim lanes or market channels, please check out the Colorado Hemp Industries Association at www.thecohia.org. That is T-H-E-C-O-H-I-A. Dot org. Don't be misled by bad information that is floating around. 
You can also always reach out to Cindy Sylvine or Samantha Walsh, who can provide a thorough and rational explanation to how the legislative process works and why certain approaches are not the approaches we should be taking as an industry. That's going to be a wrap on the news updates for this week's show. And this week's guest, we've got one of my favorite people on the planet, Mr. Doug Fine. How are you doing tonight, Doug? Mars, to be with you, we are five years into what I hope is a many hundreds of years long uh, friendship and co- colleaguehood. Um, I am just thrilled to be here with you talking the latest in the world of hemp cannabis. Well, we're having to re-record this thing since we recorded it yesterday with Rick and we had like an hour conversation and all of a sudden the phone app that I'm using for this for this podcast for some reason didn't deliver the file so we're having to re-record it and unfortunately rick wasn't available this evening to capture this which will broadcast when people hear it uh, they'll know that we recorded it the day before but we are having to re-record this but that's okay i always have time to talk to to you doug and it's great to catch up let's talk about some of the projects that you've had going on where do we want to start hawaii amazingly amazingly it's verbatim so far since yesterday it's take two and it's almost uh exactly the same words have been exchanged so far um <laughs> somehow we knew it, there was going to be a take two so yeah like, we might as well start in hawaii hawaii has uh been moving slowly for what most everybody involved says has to do with the gubernatorial lukewarm attitude about hemp at the beginning. But the response has been so immense from Hawaii's putative farmers and uh, processors and entrepreneurs, the real need for food and other economic industrial independence, the islands, and the fact that it's the only U.S. state that can uh, cultivate three crops per year. Um, it's resulted in uh, a speeding up of the process, and it's a blessing to be part of it, and it's really great to see people coming on board, especially the farmer base and the farmers' union, but also the Department of Ag. Where it's at right now is the Department of Ag has issued three contracts for seed development, and I'm part of one of them. I'm a researcher with the University of Hawaii's MC development contract with, with the State Department of Agriculture. And we've got a crop in the ground. There was about my favorite social media post of my life was being able to say, yeah, just planting hemp in January in the foot of volcano, you know, getting a little sweaty here. I'm going to jump in the ocean. I just, I love that dynamic of the tropics and planting year round and throwing that into the mix of hemp. And it's important research actually to see what cultivars uh, not only perform well initially, in Hawaii, but which also adapt well. Hemp's adaptability is a topic that's that's a great interest to me. And Hawaii, Mars, really needs hemp economically. Well, there's no doubt about it. You know, I was out there last June. We had our conference that you were instrumental in making happen by bringing all the key local politicians as well as the farming crew and Vince from the Hawaii Farmers Union. There was just a great gathering of people and seeing the potential and the possibilities out there in Hawaii certainly got me jazzed. And I think we're going to be trying to pull that off again this year towards the end of the year, right? December. I'm very much looking forward to that. Yeah, you know, it's so funny. There's this uh, mixed feelings that some people have about attending a lot of conferences because for one thing, it's away from your quote unquote real work, whether it's in the field or the processor. But uh, what WAFPA does in its live events is really bring the people together who need to be talking. And that was exactly what happened last June. It uh, 
turned a spark into a fire in terms of hemp interest in the Aloha State that's that's only been building, and I can't wait uh, here in future episodes of the show to be uh, updating you when the program proper starts. We're still in the seed development phase. I'm still in my relentless effort to get the State Department of Agriculture to increase its uh, um, the breadth of the genetics that's willing to um, to bring into the state, and, and I should say. They've been good to work with and responsive, especially as as time goes on and they learn more about the potential of the plant, which kind of leads to um, another place uh, where I've got an active project. And it's a project, again, I I realize it's the second time I'm using this word here, but it is truly a blessing to be part of this project. All of us, I think, feel this way about being at this snapshot in this moment in Hemp Mars, because no matter how, especially if you're an American hemp person, but, but really with very few exceptions in in many parts of the world, most people are entering into this wide open space of this ancient plant with its modern applications, having to educate themselves, educate their customers, create customers, educate regulators, and we're inexorably moving toward hemp being treated like just any other crop, which we know is the end game. So this project that I'm involved in in Washington State or I should say surrounded by Washington State since it's since it's um, Native American land, is with the Colville tribe. And I'm fortunate now for about a year and a half to be the lead consultant for the Colville tribe's hemp program. And we successfully planted and harvested 60 acres last year in a program that just, it's in this conversation, Morris will have a tale of many states. And, I'm, and again, it's, I feel lucky to be working in so many states. And in some ways, Lucky to be slogging it out a bit in the states that are not making it easy. I, I do want folks that are cultivating in the Colorados and the Oregons and the Kentucky, Kentuckys who are listening to this to feel lucky. And New York's doing a great job too. Vermont's got a great program, a place where I've also been cultivating. But, uh, but feel lucky when you hear about Washington's laws, hemp law, that doesn't allow cultivation for yet you know we'll get the doesn't allow cultivation for the flower applicate for flower you know cbd and the rest of the cannabinoids so the tribes are the coval tribes are just not ready to uh lay down and kowtow they're saying we're going for it anyway the program was so dang restrictive between the law and the regulations uh last year in washington that the tribes were just one of three applicants compare that to oregon which after some stumbling in its first few years got their program together and had, uh, I think, the second or third most acres, thousands, more than 3,000 acres, I believe, according to Vote Hemp's um, report in, uh, in uh, Oregon last year. And so everybody's aware of this in Washington and, for that matter, south of Oregon and California. But in this project in Washington, everybody's looking at Oregon and saying, oh, okay, so when you let farmers grow for however they want to grow and when you let uh, and cultivars in as long as they meet federal hemp definitions, the program thrives and it's actually good, which is what the point of the Department of Agriculture is, to serve farmers and agricultural entrepreneurs. Um, that has really not been happening in, in Washington. There's some really good people involved in it, a lot of people hamstrung by bureaucracy. But the bottom line is the Colville tribe had top-down support from their council. It was a beautiful thing. And, I, and the team that I'm working with there is – top-notch in the field administratively it's it's people that are living and breathing it just like you and i do morrison that many of the people listening to this program are and coval is taking no guff and uh in the middle of the season the tribal council came out and blessed the crop it was 
it was it was moving, honestly. Uh, so I'm not, you know, easily brought to tears, but there was drumming, there was singing, and I'll tell you, the crop took off right after that because um, we were forced to plant late by BS bureaucracy uh, nonsense and uh, wound up harvesting 60 acres enough to sort of create this prototype roasted hemp seed package, again, forced it into the seed realm because uh, because of not being allowed to grow for flower applications in Washington yet. And the tribe's into it. They're psyched. They're going doubling acreage this year. So I'm very, very proud of this project. I'm proud of the effort that everybody's put together and the, and the support that the Koval tribe has had. And they're, they're reverberating. Their efforts are reverberating widely in Indian country. There's a lot of interest in hemp throughout Indian country. And let me tell you, Koval needs it economically. It's not a destitute tribe. It has revenue, but it is looking for renewable and regenerative revenue. It's it's a beautiful it's a beautiful thing to see, and I'm glad to be part of this project. I'm proud that you're doing all this, Doug. You're going from state to state and country to country, and whether it's Hawaii or working with the tribal nations here, there's so much opportunity for all these different areas to incorporate this crop and and to make it a revenue stream and make a difference in their communities. Thank you for saying that. And I should say, by way of right back at you, that I think a, an important part of uh, my job in this is, uh, you know, my, my business card, which you have printed, Tree Free Hemp and Colorado Hemp Company have printed on uh, hemp for me. The business card identifies me as observer participant. And I mention this because the media role that I play uh, before deciding that hemp cannabis was too important not to enter um and try to be as much as I can and demonstrate the values that I hope um, appeal to some, you know, to some uh, independent farmers. There's many different ways that people can take advantage of hemp and cannabis in a, in a positive way. But I'm trying to really demonstrate in a um, uh, uh, an independent farming, farm to table, and regenerative model where I, when I say regenerative, I mean what you might expect in terms of soil building but also community building. As we know, the, the multiplier effect, when you keep re- revenue as you move up the economic chain in a community, it's exponential, exponentially more valuable. So I tried to demonstrate that with a project that um, I've been taking part in for a couple of years in Vermont. And we cultivated some beautiful crops there and created a project called Hemp in Hemp, which is two farms a table. It's infused we pressed the hemp seed right on the farm in the seed oil press and, and infused the flour in it. And I love talking about this product. It's a very Ben and Jerry's looking bottle because it's, it's a proof of concept to me of the increased value. I just don't want farmers to be, unless they want to do this, you know, maybe large acreage in a North Dakota or Montana or elsewhere. I don't want farmers to be subject to the vicissitudes of commodities prices um, farmers tend to get screwed over since the end of serfdom um, by the middleman. I mean, that's why the farmers Union, National Farmers Union started uh, in the Midwest, in North Dakota, was because farmers were not getting fair prices um, for their weed and, uh, and other crops that they were harvesting. So to be entrepreneurial is essential in the digital age farming renaissance that's happening. And I like bringing this product around. Now, due to health issues with some of my partners in Vermont, I have to bring this product elsewhere. And I was so excited to bring Hemp and Hemp home to my home state of New Mexico this year where our legislature did the job for the third year straight, Mars, 
pass a good hemp bill for the third year straight vetoed uh, unconscionably uh, by our thankfully departing governor um, <laughs> here. And it's such a funny story that I think it's briefly worth relating. The, the hemp bill gets vetoed. Then somebody notices that though a lawyer, our governor didn't read the memo on how to veto a bill, but our New Mexico uh, rule book says the governor can veto a bill, obviously, but he or she has to uh, mention why. That's it. Just says you have to tell the reason. And our governor didn't on 10 bills. So um, a district court said, yeah, these are not vetoed. These are, these are law, and that included actually two hemp bills, but uh, it was decided to go forward with the better of the bill. Uh, the second court, the appeals court, the, go- the governor's office appeals, also agreed that it was, black, it was black and white, literally. This bill, these bills are not vetoed. They are law. And we were psyched. We have a great ag commissioner in New Mexico, Jeff Whitty, and I, I, he was not looking forward to the prospect, even though he's a hemp supporter. He was not looking forward to the prospect of drafting regs over the veto of his boss. But uh, he, was, he was willing to do it. Um, he was going to have to do it. Um, but unfortunately, it doesn't have a happy ending for this year. Unfortunately, our Supreme Court is now asking for uh, uh, a hearing on this, and it's a delay tactic to run out the clock on this current governor's uh, administration because as anybody who has been through the regulatory process in any hemp state knows, it takes months and months to develop hemp regs. So the hearings, first hearings, are going to be next month, and even if the Supreme Court is swift in agreeing with the lower courts in New Mexico – um, it's a case of the clock running out because add six months to March and it's too late for farmers to process hemp. So personally, that affects me and that I was psyched to bring hemp and hemp to New Mexico and create revenue in an economy and a ta- more of a tax base here in New Mexico. But beyond my own, you know, wishes, it was like so many states, literally hundreds of farmers uh, in a network ready to go that are being shut out unconscionably from a uh, regenerative farming economy, at least for f- one more year. But uh, I don't know, Mars, it's a marathon, right? We'll get there. It is a marathon. This is no sprint. We know that. We talked about that, I think, back in 2014 when you first put out Hempbound. Now, it's a long way to right. the top if you want to rock and roll. And <laughs> we're just going to keep climbing. We're going to keep moving forward, keep going to Hawaii, keep going to Europe, keep spreading the good word. When we get there, we'll get there. Speaking of when Hempbound first came out, you were one of the first people to reach out to me. And if I'm not mistaken, NOCO 1 was, if not the first, I think it was actually the first. That was also, besides many of the other beautiful things, watching hemp, but watching NOCO Hemp Expo blossom, I can't wait for NOCO 5. Um, as you and I were discussing uh, off air, huge announcement in a creative media project I've been working on for a long time surrounding regenerative agriculture, renaissance, and hemp. Um, that is, uh, I hope, going to be impactful in terms of the wider world, hearing more about hemp that I hope to make the announcement about uh, at NOCO 5 this year. Also, to in my uh, contribution, my keynote this year, to be giving models for being a regenerative entrepreneur, really practical on the ground if that's the model that folks want to take. In other words, not necessarily huge acreage, but wanting to be entrepreneurial about it, and incorporating regenerative values into their bottom line. It's always the big event, uh, biggest hemp event of the year for me and for everyone. It's the world's biggest hemp event. It's gonna, it's outgrown the biggest event center in, in Northern Colorado, from what I understand. We're spilling over into other buildings this year. 
Um, I, I cannot uh, wait for NOCO. Another thing that happened to NOCO 1, though, was that David Pillar came up to me and said uh, that he's uh, someone who is uh, hearing impaired and he had invented the American Sign Language Sign for Hemp. Would I please use it around the world? Because this is how uh, a, a sign makes it into the sort of lexicon for American Sign Language. And since then, we've done group drone shots with hundreds of people flashing that hemp sign at NOCO. We've done it from Slovenia uh, to Hawaii, and I hope that it's considered now a part of uh, American Sign Language. Um, while we're on the subject of live events, we're going to see each other next week, bringing it, bringing the noise, the one louder noise to the uh, Central U.S. Uh, Hemp Expo in Madison, Wisconsin, this Monday and Tuesday, February 26th and 27th, right? Yeah, that's going to be fun. They've got several several cool things going on there in Madison, and there's going to be a good group of speakers. You know, you're going to be moderating a few panels and doing a keynote, but I think I'm going to be on one or two of your panels. You've got Janelle Ralph, Courtney Moran. Who else is there? David Bush. Um, yep. Who else is coming? Uh, let's see. I believe Paulie Rotterdam's going to be there. Um, Mark? If I'm Gergen? That's right. Mark Grignon is going to be there. Joy Beckerman. Um, I think I've been angling with the uh, oh, Ed. producer. She's a Oh, Ed's going to be there. Coming. I hope Rich, Rich Bex and Aaron Rydell, um, I hope, are going to be there. I've been angling to get them there. Um, and a few other, uh, a few other folks uh, newer to the scene from the Midwest um, as well. I'm really excited to have you on these panels because you, uh, you're truly a wealth of knowledge. I learn a lot of stuff from the legislative, and you've been fighting this battle for, for making sure that the hemp bills that come before Colorado to this day, it's never a dull moment, are going to be beneficial to, to the hemp industry overall. And I, and I got to say that I'm proud of you for it. You're not just an event promoter. You're not just a tree-free hemp provider. You're, you, you're, you do all of it except you, I'll, I'm going to get your fingers dirty and make you plant some seeds because then we can say Mars truly does everything in the hemp world. I've been given a little bit of flack from some of the peanut gallery out there. Oh, he's not a hemp farmer, blah, blah, blah. Well, I did grow up on a farm. From the age of six months till I was 11 years old, I grew up on a 17-acre farm in Loveland. We didn't grow any crops, but we had horses, we had cows, we had chickens, we had geese, we had dogs and cats and all that stuff. I am a farm boy at heart, and I am going to get my hands dirty and, and grow hemp. No, I'm not a farmer. I admire the farmers. I'm here for the farmers. We want to see farmers starting to make money again. And small farmers being able to survive, the, the, the family farm. You know, I learned this from you and Mike Lewis and Ryan Laughlin and, and Bill Billings. I, I was converted easily. Plus, I've seen you handle lots of green leafy material over the years. Uh, well, I can handle green leafy material. There's no question about that. <laughs> yeah, you've gotten your, you've your hands plenty, plenty stinky in a, in a good way. You know, I, I don't know how much time we have but if i could uh, leave at this life things move so fast in the hemp world right now where you know three years after the initial hemp uh, federal legalization um we have journeys to make still on the on the federal level we'll get there i've been working with a number of uh congress congressional offices senators senators and and uh and and congress people uh, on farm bill wording and other wording to get us to the to the finish line as as i know you and many others have. Um, I want to shout out Samantha Walls for doing such a great job, especially in um, Colorado uh, um, hemp stuff. She's on the ball lady. Um, but uh, 
at this exact moment, Mars, there's a couple of issues that I find from, again, having the blessing of working in a number of states that I think are really important and I want to sort of have documented here so that in, in future years when folks come and listen, at this moment, at this slice um, of getting to the promised land of this uh, hemp being such an uh, integral part of the small farming renaissance that we're going to see in the di- digital ages, a major driver, the ma- as major a driver in our economy as Silicon Valley was as before that, the steel industry, before that, the auto industry, all these major industries that when they said what was good for America, what's good for General Motors is what's good for America, we're going to say what's good for hemp, hemp and cannabis is good for America, by which it's, we mean it's such an impactful industry that we expect our institutions to bend over backwards to, su- to support it, especially if, it, if it's righteous, uh, more righteous elements um, are, are the driving factors. So at this, at this point, a couple of factors that I think are the most important to address and make sure they stay at the forefront to make sure we do get to that promised land. That, and what I mean by the promised land is a thriving rural economy where uh, rural American, rural communities are as thriving as ritzy communities and upscale suburbs were in the 20th century, um, um, with the difference being that the economy is more regional and local than sort of driven by uh, outside uh, uh, corporate profits, stock profits, or hedge fund profits. Not that there's uh, that not, not that these models have to 100% go away, but that the ones that I uh, advocate throwing our energy behind are the ones where the dollars are controlled regionally and in the communities um, all the way up the chain, ideally. And that's why I've been involved in trying to develop some cooperatives in, in, uh, in uh, Hawaii and Montana and elsewhere lately. But the issues that we really have to look into, first of all, besides hemp, being, hemp and cannabis being treated like any other crop, um, the first one is a level playing field for these small farmers and, and big farmers. I want to give an example of a state that really looks like is doing it right. I was concerned about what was happening in California. I heard whisperings about issues in California, and then I was invited to, to speak at one of the regulatory hearings recently. And since I've developed a, a correspondence and relationship with the uh, with with their seed folks, they are absolutely open to what Michael Pollan calls America's best farmers, which is cannabis hemp farmers, bringing in domestic cultivars on a level playing field with so-called certified seeds often coming from offshore sources. And again, not that there's anything wrong with that. If there are people that like the idea of a uniform, what they perceive as a uniform uh, model or, or uh, uh, a predictable THC result, that's, that's fine as long as they don't expect to be able to replant. And to my mind, free farming has always meant you plant and you grow seeds and you can replant. So as long as those models can interact side by side, um, genetic level playing field, that's a really big one. The other one, Mars, I want to mention in closing is the end of the THC obsession on all sides. And what I mean by that is the so-called delineation between psychoactive cannabis and hemp is, in my view, without a doubt, going away probably over these next 10 years. The only time THC should be relevant at all in any kind of harvest is if psychoactive finished product is being provided to the public, in which case, of course, it should be regulated by a state or, or a locality uh, the way, let's say, alcohol or tobacco would be. But regardless of what the theoretical THC might be in a flower, if the end product is a fiber or seed application that has no hemp or, uh, sorry, that has no or negligible THC or the flower is being processed in such a way where it is not being 
uh, provided to the public is with with uh, over some threshold of THC, it will make no difference. And so, if folks are listening to this, saying, "Well, why and how would that come about?" This blending isn't isn't all the aren't all the dispensaries going for twenty plus percent THC flowers and ninety plus percent dabs or whatever the hell? And aren't the uh, uh, hemp people trying to keep it at zero? Well. Here's the thing. THC is part of the plant the way that hemoglobin is part of our blood. It wants uh, THC in it, and it performs better when there's THC. The classic example is Chinese textiles lead the world today in quality because for a lot of reasons. But one of the reasons is Chinese don't test their hemp for THC. It has, hemp, it has considerably higher on many of their cultivars than what we would call modern and arbitrary definitions of hemp, and they know the reason is that makes stronger fiber. But guess what? The, two, the cannabinoids don't reside in the fiber, so it's irrelevant what's going on in the flower. It just provides better fiber. So we're going to want higher THC for various applications, maybe for supercapacitors and other cutting-edge hemp applications. Um, hemp building, the herd may be stronger when there's THC in it, but that is absolutely irrelevant because the THC doesn't reside in the fiber. And conversely, so-called psychoactive cannabis. I look to uh, our former governor here in, uh, former Republican governor here in New Mexico, Gary Johnson, whose first cannabis investment foray, he's always been a legalization guy, pro-legalization guy, but uh, his first business venture was with a very low THC mint geared toward over, uh, geared, toward, geared toward older demographics. Uh, for folks who recognize uh, what we kind of talk about as the entourage effect amongst the many known cannabinoids, terpenes, bioflavonoids that go into the impact of cannabis when, when somebody ingests it or uses a, a tincture or whatever. He, he recognized, he and his company that he, he was part of, recognized that there may be folks that may get better benefit from, let's say, an arthritis uh, uh, tincture or something if there is some THC in there, in other words, over what we would call today's hemp threshold, but not by much, like, one percent maybe or two so there will be people growing psychoactive cannabis with very low thc and people growing hemp with higher thc in the end it's all as you so eloquently put it in your hashtags and so much of your social media mars hashtag it's all one plant isn't it it's one plant it's all cannabis hemp is cannabis marijuana is cannabis hemp is not marijuana marijuana is not hemp but it's all cannabis and it doesn't make any difference. It's, it really comes down to end use. I've been an end use believer since I got into this. Uh, you, you obviously are. Most people in our whole expanded network are end use believers. Even Dwayne Sinning, who will state the argument from a Department of Agriculture standpoint that it's point three and this is the reasoning and this is why it is and blah, blah, blah. But I'm with you. In the next 10 years, I think that all goes away. We just have to keep pounding the message and keeping it consistent and making the public more and more aware of what this plant is and all the uses and why this THC percentage is just, it's irrelevant, really. Thank goodness you are there uh, organizing these incredible events. It's NOCO uh, next after Central U.S. here in uh, Madison. It's it's, uh, NOCO in... uh, early April and then uh, Hawaii in December with Europe and all kinds of stuff in between. I, I'm, I'm, uh, I, ca- I can't wait. Yeah, hempevents.org. You can check out all the different events we're doing. And me and you will be crossing paths throughout the entire year. I look forward to seeing you next week and 
Madison. We're going to have a good time and we're going to educate some people there in Wisconsin and help them get their program going because they're anxious to put some seed in the ground up there. From the feedback I'm getting and the, the interest I'm hearing, people are coming from all surrounding Midwest states and stuff for that. It's looking like uh, that's going to be a pretty big one. Yeah, I think Melissa's done a really good job trying to get all that together. She's ran into some some issues, as you anybody does trying to put on these conferences, but I commend her for her efforts and the folks that she's bringing into the show. Absolutely. Yeah, if folks are interested, they can uh, uh, check out my work and also event schedule at uh, dougfine.com or follow me in social media at Organic Cowboy, all one word, two C's, Organic Cowboy. Um, one other event I thought I'd mention, uh, I'll mention two others quick ones on Equinox. I want to thank uh, the Virginia Industrial Hemp Coalition for underwriting my talk at the venerable Virginia Festival of the Book in Charlottesville, uh, um, Thomas Jefferson's backyard. They're not kidding around in the Commonwealth. Um, and I've been, uh, I'm honored that I've been asked to keynote, uh, the 10th annual Cannabis Liberation Day, uh, in Amsterdam in June. So, uh, full what of day is that for me as well? June 17th. Oh, is that Father's Day? It is. <laughs> well, happy <Yeah>. Father's Day. <laughs> I think I'm flying back from Europe. I'm flying back from Europe. I think like on the 15th from Cologne. Oh, really? I think. Well, I'm going to have to. We're, we're, we have to talk about our European schedule. Yeah, let's get on the same page about that for sure. All right. Hey, we're going to need to wrap this up. It's. Uh, I wish Rick could have been on here, but it's always good to talk to you. And we'll grab Rick for another call with you before NoCo, hopefully. Sounds good. Keep up the great work with this uh, project, Morris, and uh, I'll see you in a couple of days in the Midwest. We'll, the, we'll bring the good news to the, to the farmers in the heartland. Sounds good. Take care, buddy. We'll see you next week. Thanks, Morris. See you soon. All right. Bye. Thanks again to Doug Fine for coming on the 422 and sharing a bit of what is happening in his world. And a bit is all we get because that guy is all over the place. Doug has been one of the most committed and hardest working people for the plant and the planet. And it's an honor for me to get to collaborate with him and have him out there as a passionate and inspirational leader for our industry. That's going to do it for this week's episode of Let's Talk Hemp in the 422, where every day is Earth Day. And until next week, when Rick jumps back on the show, rock on. listening to today's show. To check out more great cannabis podcasts, go to podconnects.com. Here's a preview of one of our other shows. Are you looking for the next great cannabis business to invest in? Then you need to check out the MJ Bulls podcast. Hi, I'm Dan Humiston. Join me each week as I speak to both cannabis entrepreneurs who are raising capital and cannabis investors who are investing capital. Our 10-minute episodes are perfect for the busy investor. 
Start listening to the MJ Bulls podcast today, wherever you listen to podcasts, and who knows, maybe you'll discover the next cannabis unicorn.